You're listening to a message from Christ's Covenant Church, where we are growing together in Christ as a caring community of disciple-makers. Thank you for listening, and please feel free to share this with others who may find it helpful. Open up your Bible the book of John. We're finishing out chapter 18 today. We're getting near the end of this wonderful book of the Bible that we've been making our way through. Uh, but we're going to be in John chapter 18, and we'll start in verse 28 here in just a moment. Uh, but knowing that this was a, a parent-child dedication Sunday, I was thinking about parenting. Uh, I'm not a veteran by any means, but I, I have some years under my belt. And I, I remember as a child, but also now even more so as a, as a parent, the importance when it comes to teaching a child, the importance of teaching them how to listen. That sounds so simple and fundamental, but that is a core part of what you're trying to teach a young boy or girl to do, or an old boy or girl, or an adult son or daughter sometimes, to listen, uh, to listen to wisdom, to listen to the right people, to listen to the right sources of truth is such an important part of parenting. I'm sure we each, uh, as children, uh, could think of times where we should have listened to our mom or dad better. Uh, where, where there was something that they told us or called us to that we just uh, tuned out for a while or we thought that we knew better and maybe we listened to our own voice, we listened to the people around us and we walked headlong into foolishness and we have to sometimes come back to our mom or dad or to others around us and say, I should have listened to you. Uh, that, that is uh, hard to say, but it's sweet to say and to acknowledge. Uh, it's important to teach children to listen to listen to instructions that we give them, whether it's in the home or at school or at church or in the community. Uh, we want to teach them to listen carefully, right? How many times do we get down on a child's level and say, you need to listen carefully to what I'm about to say to you? We, we do that often. It's just part of the, the ebb and flow of parenting. And we see this in the Bible itself, uh, that, that as we think about investing in those who are coming behind us in age, that teaching them to listen is a core part of what we're seeking to do. You read through the book of Proverbs, for example, there is time after time after time that that father who is instructing his sons tells them to listen, tells them to hear what he's about to say. He, he pauses and says, like, listen to what I'm about to tell you. Listen to what your mother has taught you. Listen, listen, listen. This is used throughout the Bible. It's used throughout the years of parenting. And I, I mention that because in today's text, we're going to hear Jesus talk about listening. Even as he is coming up to the cross, even as he's no more than a max of a few hours away from crucifixion and death, at least one of the things that's on Jesus' heart and mind as he's going to speak with the man we know as Pilate is this idea of listening. Who is Pilate listening to? Who are his disciples listening to? Who is everyone he's going to talk about? Everyone supposed to listen to. Uh, and I, I hope it goes without saying that the answer is him. Uh, that he wants people to be listening to him. But that phrase, that idea of listening, is going to be on Jesus' lips. It's going to be on his heart, in his mind, as he's coming up to the cross. Who are we going to listen to? And so we're going to go today from John chapter 18, verse 28, down to the end of the chapter, to verse 40. And before we read this, just we do this most Sundays, catch you up to speed if you haven't been here uh, for a while, or maybe you haven't been here ever. We're in the book of John this was one of the disciples of Jesus named John who had been an eyewitness to most all of these things that happened in Jesus' life, especially at the end of Jesus' life. And he recorded this for us. He recorded the happenings, especially of these last week and the last few days of Jesus' life. 
We've spent a few months, honestly, based on how John gave such attention to it, we've spent a few months as a church going through Thursday night of that week, right before Jesus died on Good Friday. But where we're at this morning, we're going to see we're now into Friday. We're now into Friday morning. It's, it's, it's early on Friday morning, John is going to say, and we're going to see some things unfold. Uh, you'll see in here, even as we read, that this happened over Passover weekend there in Jerusalem. That was an important uh, event for them that we'll hopefully get to speak about a little bit today. But it's Friday morning of that Passover weekend, right before, within hours of when Jesus would be nailed to the cross and put to death in our place. And so I'm going to read this passage in its entirety, and then we'll hone in on a little part of it, and then we'll zoom back out and walk through the whole thing. But follow along with me in your copy of the scriptures, John chapter 18 verse 28 down through 40. Now the Apostle John recorded this for us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. This is the phrasing about listening. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover, so do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. We'll continue this story next week. Uh, Jake Osborne, our student ministries director, gets to preach from the start of John 19, so We'll see some further conversation between Pilate and Jesus and some things that unfold as we get closer to the crucifixion. But we'll stop there for today and look here at what God may have to say to us through this section of this story, this true story about what took place at the end of Jesus' life. I want to focus in briefly just to set the frame of how we're going to walk back through this text. Uh, at verse 37, Pilate in this conversation is talking to Jesus, and he says, so you're a king? And Jesus answers him and says, essentially, you're saying that I'm a king? 
And he says he was born, to, and we'll talk about this again, but that he was born uh, to come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So he's saying, I came to be a truth teller, like to tell the truth about God, about people, about salvation. He came to bear witness to the truth. Then he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. We have here in this verse even a reminder that Jesus is a unique human being. Uh, every little baby boy or girl that you saw up here this morning started their existence in a womb. That they, their, their existence began at conception. Uh, but Jesus says, for this purpose, to tell the truth, I came into the world. Like that, that's a, a, a reminder, a, a trigger for us to note that Jesus had existed before he entered into Mary's womb. He had existed for eternity as God the Son, but that he took on humanity. He took on human form, human nature, and entered into this world to tell the truth. And even as he's coming to die, he's remembering why he came into the world in the first place, why he was born, was to tell the truth, to tell it about God and about all things and all people. And even, I would note this, even as he is standing in the headquarters of the governor of Rome here in Jerusalem, bound, being questioned by him, put on trial by this Roman governor, Jesus has the, the courage and the truthfulness to say at the end of verse 37, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Even as he's about to die. Even as, humanly speaking, he looks powerless, he looks weak, he looks vulnerable. He is telling Pilate, the man who's about to judge him, everyone, including you, if you know the truth, if you say you believe the truth, you will listen to me. Like you will listen to my voice. You'll not listen to these Jewish leaders who are outside your headquarters. He is saying, everyone who is of the truth listens to me, listens to my voice. Jesus is not some crazy, deranged person coming up to the end of their life just desperately saying, I need somebody to listen to me. Please, somebody listen to me. Like, I just need somebody's ear that will actually listen to me. He's not some going crazy, deranged person at the end of life. He is calm and reasoned and measured and speaking as sane as sane can be and as calm as calm can be and saying, every person, Pilate included, these Jewish leaders included, you included, me included, if we say that we believe the truth, if we are people of the truth, Jesus says we will listen to him. Like he is the one that we will ultimately listen to, that we will pay attention to, that we will follow. And so with that as our frame to understand this story and see back through the story how some of these characters, what are they listening to? Who are they listening to? What are the things that they're giving their attention to and orienting their life around? I think that the Lord will help us see them rightly, these characters like the Jewish leaders and Pilate. But I think he'll also help us see ourselves clearly as well. The things that we may be tempted to listen to, the, the substitutes that we may tend to listen to instead of listening to the voice of Jesus. Things our children may listen to, things that they, we may think as uh, okay substitutes for the voice of Jesus, but when they're exposed, we see this is not listening to the voice of Jesus. And so I want to back, walk back through this text. John, if you know much about the Bible, you may know this, but John wrote about details at the end of Jesus' life, especially that some of the other gospel writers didn't write about, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke did not write about. John probably wrote last uh, of all those four men, and so he kind of assumes that a lot of the events that uh, were happened around the end of Jesus' life that people who are reading this probably already knew. 
And so he includes some details, even in our story today, that are unique, things that he remembers or that he knows from testimony, even from Jesus himself, probably, after he was raised from the dead. And so we're going to see some of those in this story, like the conversation that took place outside of Pilate's headquarters, the conversation that took place inside Pilate's headquarters. I think he knew that because Jesus told him about it probably after he was raised from the dead. But we're going to see some of these unique things he talked about and see who these people were listening to, what they were listening to. And so let's start back at the beginning of our our story for today, back in uh, John 18, verse 28 and following. And we're going to first see these Jewish leaders that they've arrested Jesus. They they now have led Jesus from the high priest where they had done this joke of a trial that John doesn't even record for us. But uh, they had done this joke of a trial, a quick trial, where they, they allowed lies and things they knew to be untrue to come as accusations against Jesus. They had done this fake trial. They had found him guilty even before they did the trial. But now they lead him to the governor's headquarters. They lead him to the place where Pilate would have been staying there in Jerusalem. Pilate was the representative of the Roman government at that time there in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And so they're bringing Jesus to them, or to him, excuse me. We see that it's early in the morning, verse 28 says, on Friday morning. We see, as verse 28 goes on, that they stayed outside of the governor's headquarters. They've, they've brought Jesus. We don't know how many of them there are, but probably a decent-sized uh, decent crowd. They've brought Jesus, and they will not go into Pilate's headquarters. John records that for us. They stay outside, and we'll talk about this in a second. But it's so they wouldn't be, in their opinion, defiled by going into some Gentile building, to some non-Jewish building. They think that if we go in that building, we're going to be defiled and unclean based on Old Testament law, and we're not going to be able to eat the Passover meals and participate in these festivities that are going to unfold this week here in Jerusalem. And so they stay outside. Pilate, as maybe a good governor would do, is willing to, uh, to respect their religious freedom. And he goes outside to them. Verse 29, he goes outside to talk to them. And he asks what accusation they're bringing against Jesus. It's early in the morning. This would have been unusual. He's saying, what are you bringing? Acu- what accusations are you bringing against this man? And he's heard, it's, I doubt this is the first time Pilate has heard this is happening. He probably had heard rumblings of this. They had gotten some of his guard to go arrest Jesus, if you remember that. So he's probably known this was coming, but he still wants to know, what accusation are you bringing against him? And as an aside, I think there's some of what Pilate does here that's commendable. That's a commendable thing, right? He's not just taking their word for it that that this man is guilty. That's an important thing for us to know in our day and age where we have trial by Twitter a lot of time and where we hear something on the news and we just assume something is true just because somebody says it. It's good for us to say, what are the accusations? What's the truth behind it? What is the merit of this? And we see Pilate as a good governor in a sense doing that, asking what accusations they bring. The sad part is that Jesus' very own people, the Jews, are, the leaders are the ones that are rejecting him. And Pilate at least is seeking to give him a fair hearing, a, a fair shake almost at the beginning. But John knew this. At the be- John chapter 1 verse 11 said that Jesus came to his own people and his own people didn't receive him. So we see these Jewish leaders, these religious leaders, bringing Jesus to the Roman governor and saying that, that they're accusing him, wanting him to die. But note that when Pilate asks them, what's your accusation? 
They don't even answer with an accusation, do they? Verse 30 says, if this man were not doing evil, we wouldn't have delivered him over to you. So they're essentially just saying, take our word for it, Pilate. Like, this guy is guilty. He needs to die. Take our word for it. Like, you don't need to know all these details of why we found him guilty. Just take him as guilty. And Pilate, again, with a good instinct, essentially turns around and says in verse 31, go deal with that in-house. Like, you don't need to bring him to the Roman government. We don't need to deal. If he broke your guys' laws as Jewish people, deal with him in your own courts. Deal with him in your own uh, system. I I don't need to handle him. We don't need to handle him. And again, that's a good instinct on his part. But we see then that the Jews say to him at the end of verse 31, that it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. What they're talking about there is not about Old Testament law. They had authority based on the Old Testament. If they thought somebody was blaspheming God, like they thought Jesus was saying that he was divine, they had authority based on Old Testament law itself to kill him. They had authority to to put people to death based on the Old Testament law. But what the law they're talking about is that the Roman government, if you can imagine this, that was over the top of them at that time, had forbid them from doing that. They had said, like, if there's going to be capital crimes, if there's going to be people put to death, we're going to be the ones that do it. Like, we're going to be the people who, who take care of those things. This is not for you to do. So that's when they say, it's not lawful for us, Pilate, to do it. So it's like they're putting it in his court, trying to kind of metaphorically wash their hands like Pilate literally is going to do in a few hours. They're trying to push it on to Pilate and say, you put him to death. Like, you don't even let us do it. And John ends verse 32 by saying that this whole interchange of them taking him to Pilate to have him be crucified by the Romans instead of being stoned by the Jews is to help bring about what Jesus already knew was going to take place. Jesus had said over and over again that he's going to be lifted up to die. He was going to be crucified by the Romans, not stoned by the Jews. And Jesus knew that, and these circumstances lead up to that. So the question here that, that I, I want to think about is who were these, or what, I may say, what were these Jewish leaders listening to? What were they listening to? What were they orienting their behaviors around? And there is irony of ironies in this, that they are seeking in some sense by staying outside the governor's house and refusing to go in. They are seeking in some sense, although a twisted sense, to follow God's law even while they're killing God's son. Like the, the thing that they are guided by, the thing that they are listening to, in some sense, was God's law. Like God had given them parameters about clean, cleanness and uncleanness and, and things that could make them religiously clean and unclean. And they were seeking, even though this wouldn't have been chapter and verse from the Bible, this whole idea of not going into a Gentile building, they were seeking to stay clean. They were seeking to, to stay pure in a sense to be able to participate in these festivities of the Passover and so they're seeking to obey the law in some sense and not be defiled by being around Gentile things and around practices that may have made them unclean religiously but we see that they're twisted in their thinking they think that what's going to make them unclean is something outside of themselves they think it's by touching something in a Gentile house They think that it's by seeing something or witnessing something inside of that headquarters that something outside of them is what they think is going to make them unclean. And they are forgetting that within their hearts, like even demonstrated by their actions they've been doing that night and that morning, they've already demonstrated that their hearts are unclean. 
Like that they have sin and hate in their heart for the Son of God. They have set up a joke of a trial. Like they're trying to follow the law, but they have not even followed what the law said about how to justly treat and handle accusations against someone. They are not witnessing and observing and paying attention that they're trying to manipulate Pilate and get him to do their dirty work. They're they're not noticing and paying attention that they are wanting to kill a man who is innocent. They just think that the problem and the way that they're going to become unclean is by touching stuff or seeing things, and they're not seeing they're already unclean where they stand outside the Romans' headquarters. Like they are already unclean, but they are trying, in some sense, to listen to the law. They're, they're trying in some twisted way to obey it. But I would say this to us is that they weren't listening to the law close enough. They weren't listening to the Old Testament close enough. That book that they were trying to follow, they weren't listening close enough. Jesus himself had recorded back in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40. You may remember this. He said this to the Jews. He said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, Jesus says. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. What Jesus was trying to say is that when you really read the law, fellow Jews, when you really read the Bible rightly and the rules within it, uh, fellow human beings, you will see that they point you to me. They point you to your need of forgiveness. Not, they don't point you to some false idea that you're clean already, just as you are. They're to show you you're unclean. They're to show you that you need forgiveness. They're to, they're to point you to me, Jesus said. There's other texts throughout the law that they would have been saying they listened to, that they're saying they're following, that would have pointed them to this prophet who was going to come. Deuteronomy 18, for example, says that there's this prophet greater than Moses, the man that they would have most respected. That, that Their very Bible says that there's going to be a prophet to come after him, and it says explicitly, listen to him. Listen to him. And you will have judgment if you don't. But they're not reading that part of their scriptures. They're not thinking that that is speaking about Jesus. They're just following the rules. They're just seeking to follow the guidelines and the the stipulations that have been laid out for them. I mention all this, that they are listening to the law. Because I want us to note this, that listening to Jesus, if that's what Jesus says we're supposed to do, is to listen to him. Listening to Jesus is much more than just trying to follow rules in the Bible. It always has been, and it always will be. That it's, it's not less than that, but it's much more than that, and it's deeper than that. These men that were standing outside Pilate's headquarters, they in some sense were trying to follow the very rules of the Bible. They were trying in some sense to follow some of the very stipulations that God had given to them. But God calls us, and Jesus calls us to a deeper, more internal response than that, that we are to listen to the Son of God, not just to follow the law of God. And those aren't at odds with each other, but one must come before the others, that we must listen to the Son of God if we're to ever rightly obey the law of God. Because if you think about this, you see this on display in these Jewish leaders, but we see it in our own lives too. You can try to obey the law of God, the rules and and guidelines that God gives in this book. You can try and try and try to follow those commands without ever, you can try to follow them without ever acknowledging your guilt, without ever confessing those with a broken heart to the God who made you. 
without ever repenting of your failures and your sins. Without ever, this is the most important, without ever turning to Christ for forgiveness for your failures. You can obey and try and try and try and try to obey without ever doing those things. Without ever confessing, without ever repenting, without ever turning to Christ for forgiveness. But the law is supposed to point us to our guilt. That's part of what it's supposed to do. It's not to just tell us, live this way, do this, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. It does that. It shows us how we're to live. But it is to point us to our spiritual guilt, our bankruptcy, our, our inability to actually do what God has called us to do. But there are so many times we just try and try and try to obey, 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 do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this, without any regard for Jesus without any regard for repentance, without any regard for thinking, how is my sin dealt with? Like, how is the punishment that I'm earning for myself, how is that dealt with? And just trying harder and obeying more doesn't get rid of your sin. We do this. I was thinking this week of how many times in situations we follow laws of people, sometimes without really listening to the person, without really respecting the person, it starts often, unfortunately, in school. It starts with our parents, honestly. Sometimes, sometimes we just toe the line of what our mom and dad says, not because we really want to listen to them, but because we don't want to get in trouble or we want to make sure we get our allowance or that I get to go to a certain place. So we're obeying without really listening and loving the person. This happens at school. Like we may have a teacher sometimes that we dislike or a principal that we have not gotten along with and that we, in our immaturity, just reject and, and dislike. We may still follow their rules and do the things that they ask us to do, but it's not motivated from love. It's not a real true listening to them. It's just trying to avoid trouble. People do this in bigger scales when there's dictators in in countries, right, where they hate that person, but they follow their laws. They do what they tell them to do to just try to keep the peace. I have a a quote I'd like us to put up on the screen. This is from a catechism we've been trying to teach uh, our children on Wednesday nights here. This one is coming up a few Wednesdays from now. It's so good. I wanted to to share it with us as a church family. Uh, The catechisms are questions and answers that we try to teach. Now, the the question is this. Since no one can keep the law, what is its purpose? I love this answer because it summarizes what Scripture teaches very well. It says that the purpose of the law is that we may know the holy nature and will of God. So we're to know how he wants us to live. And the sinful nature and disobedience of our hearts. And thus our need of a savior. The law also teaches and exhorts us to live a life worthy of our savior. That is so good and so well said. And if you memorize that and think on it, there's more and more layers that you'll get out of that. But the law is intended, it always has been. Even the law that these people were trying to obey back then it wasn't just to tell us do this don't do this go in this building don't go in this building eat this food don't eat this food sacrifice this animal this way don't sacrifice it this way it was to point us to our guilt it was to help us see you can't do this you can't perfectly keep this and you need forgiveness like you need to be made clean but it's not by doing more stuff it's by someday a sacrifice being made for you And that was exactly what takes place here on Good Friday weekend when Jesus lays down his life, is that he dies for our sins. 
The way that we are made clean is not by standing outside of buildings or not doing certain things. It's by Christ's blood being shed for us. It's by him dying in our place as the Lamb of God. This was Passover weekend when they were remembering how lambs had been slaughtered for them back in Egypt and blood put over their doors so that the angel of death could pass over their house and that they could be set free from that judgment of death. Jesus' blood is what brings us forgiveness of our sins, not our obedience. And we need to remember that. We need to teach our kids that. It's so often we see, and I'm tempted to do this, when we see, thinking of parenting, when we see a child who obeys, sometimes we think that's a sign that they're converted, like that, that, that the Spirit has worked in their life and that they're born again. But law-keeping, you see it in this story, law-keeping is not necessarily a sign of spiritual life. Sometimes it's a sign that a kid is compliant, not converted. Sometimes it's a sign that they're just trying to keep mom and dad happy or their pastor happy, not that they're actually listening to Jesus. And so we need to teach our kids more than just do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. We need to teach them that they can't obey God's law perfectly. But praise God they have a Savior who did. And they have a Savior that died for their sins, even their little child, what we think as little child sins. Their disobeying of mom and dad, their, their selfishness, their stealing, their lying, that he is the one that can bring them forgiveness, not their obedience to the law. And so we see these men listening to the law, but not listening to Christ. And the, as we go into the story now where we see Pilate engaging with Jesus, I want us to look what happened there and see who he was listening to or what he was listening to. So if you pick back up in verse 33. We see that Pilate has been, it seems, frustrated maybe with how the conversation's unfolding outside his headquarters, and he brings it inside his headquarters, verse 33, where he knows the Jewish leaders won't come. And now he has a setting where we have a private conversation between him and Jesus. There's no more of this, like, riotous stuff going on outside. He's just able to speak to him, to talk to him, and he asks him some questions. He seems to have heard the accusation that Jesus has been called the king of the Jews in verse 33. So he asks him, he says, is that true? Like, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus asks, kind of cryptically, he kind of is asking, do you really want to know, Pilate? Or is that just something you've heard about me? And you're like, do you really kind of believe that? Or is it just like rumor and hearsay that you've heard that I'm the king of the Jews? Is what he's asking in verse 34. And Pilate doesn't really even answer that directly. He just kind of fires back and asks, asserts to Jesus, but through questions, that he's not Jewish. Like, he's a Roman governor. Like, they, they are a, a comparatively small group of people, these, these Jewish men and women, and that, that he doesn't need to worry about all their goings-on and who's king and who's not, that he says, am I a Jew? Your nation, Jesus, like the fellow Jews, they've turned you over to me. Like, what have you done? He's, he's wanted to know what brought this about. Like, why are you here? Why are they doing this? Why are they trying to get me to put you to death? And Jesus then does turn a corner and talk about his kingdom. He doesn't out and say, yeah, I am a king. But he starts in verse 36 talking about his kingdom and how it's not a kingdom like the Roman government has set up. It's not a kingdom like any others before it or after it. That's an earthly kingdom. But he says, my kingdom's not of this world. Like I, It's not a kingdom of politics and of power. He's saying, if that was it, Pilate, think about this. 
my men, my disciples would have been trying to rescue me from these Jews who are standing outside here. And by extension, by, they'd try to rescue me from you. But they're not doing that. Like, my kingdom is different. I'm not some threat to you. I'm not trying to cause riots here in the city. I'm not trying to overthrow some Roman government. My kingdom is different. And Pilate hears this king, kingdom language in verse 37. He's like, oh, so you are a king. In verse 37. And Jesus gets back to where we started, where he says, you say that I'm a king. Like, those are your words, Pilate. I'm not a king like you think of kings, but I do have a kingdom. And then he says, reminds him, like where we started, that he came into this world to tell the truth. To tell the truth about God, about humans, about salvation. And so Pilate seems confused, maybe. We don't know, but verse 38, he just, after Jesus said he's come to tell truth, Pilate says, what is truth? And it seems like he doesn't even wait for an answer, and then he goes back outside. But what is Pilate listening to here? What, what is he turning his ear to? What is he uh, trying to listen to? In a sense, you could say he's listening to Jesus. But I think more fundamentally, you could say that Pilate is listening to the facts. He's listening to facts. He's trying to fact find and ask questions about what's going on. That's somewhat what a good judge should do is to try to find out facts, try to find out things that are true, untrue, try to assess the situation and make a judgment. So Pilate, he's asking questions of Jesus, seeking to know the truth about him. And I would note to you, it seems like Pilate even, and we'll see this more next Sunday in the passage Jake gets preached, but Pilate seems to even, in some sense, start to believe this these things about Jesus. Like you get little glimpses of it here. He starts in a sense to believe some of the facts about Jesus, doesn't he? Like you can tell it most of all by verse 38 when he goes back out to the crowd. Did you know what he says? When he goes back outside of the Jews, he says, I find no guilt in him. So he doesn't believe the accusations about Jesus that they're making. And he, he says, I find no guilt in him. He's using phrases back earlier in the conversation about, so you are a king. Like where his wheels are starting to turn, imagining that maybe Jesus, there is something to these claims. And we're going to see that unfold more next Sunday. But as Pilate's asking questions and trying to discover facts, it even seems like he's starting to believe some of these facts. Or at least potentially believe them. He's starting to lean in some. And for a while this week, as I was thinking through this story, I felt really bad for Pilate. Like, man, what a difficult place to be in. I, I kind of felt sympathy for him. Like, maybe that made him not so bad of a figure in my mind that because he felt so conflicted. But then I realized that makes him worse. Because he knows, he's starting to know the facts about Jesus, and he still executes him. And so, like, just knowing facts about Jesus, even believing facts about Jesus, is not listening to Jesus. The very man who starts to believe some of these things and writes on a sign, this is the king of the Jews, still killed him. And that should, that should make us think, man, just for me, just believing facts about Jesus is not listening to Jesus. Just knowing certain things about him and who he was and what he's done is not listening to him. It is knowing facts about him. 
we, it is commendable. I'll say this. It is commendable for a human being, whether a young boy or girl or old man or woman or anywhere in between. It is commendable for us to investigate who Jesus was and to ask questions and to think about who he was, kind of like Pilate's doing in a, in a small form here, to ask questions about who was he? What did he say about himself? What did he say about me? What did he say about how I can be forgiven of my sins? It is commendable to ask questions and to investigate. We should teach our children to do that. We should teach our teenagers to do that. We should teach all people who don't know the Lord to do that, to ask questions of him and who he is and what he's done. But please remember this. Asking questions is not a sign of conversion either. Just like keeping God's laws is not necessarily a sign of conversion, just asking questions is not a sign of conversion. Just being spiritually curious is not a sign that you are spiritually alive. It's a sign that you have curiosity and that you want, you're seeking to know the truth. But we should never be content to say, oh, my son or daughter, they're asking questions. That is so good. That has this wonderful job done. That's a sign the Spirit has converted them. It may be. But I think sometimes we short-circuit things. And just when our kids start asking questions or they start saying they believe certain facts even about Jesus, we're like, case closed, they're converted, praise God, they believe Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and rose again. But they are not listening to Jesus. They're believing facts about him. They have found answers, but they are not bending their knee to Christ. They're not submitting their life to Christ. They're not having remorse and repentance over their sin. They're not seeing him as the one who has died for them and been raised for them that they give their life to, that they submit their entire being to. There's a difference between just hearing about Jesus and heeding Jesus. H-E-E-D, heeding Jesus. That we can hear things and believe things and know facts about Jesus and never heed his counsel, never follow his actual instruction about what to do about my sin and where to run to run with it to. And so even the, the Bible is very clear on this. Even the demons, James 2.19 says, believe things that are true about God and they shudder at the fact about who God is and who Jesus is, but they do not listen to Jesus. They do not worship him. They do not turn from their sinful ways. They continue hardened in their disobedience, knowing full well better than me and you the truth about Jesus. And so knowing facts, listening to facts, is not listening to Jesus. Listening to Jesus is much deeper and fuller than just knowing facts about him. And so today I would call upon you, if you are someone who has come into this room today and you are someone who has never listened to Jesus, you have never placed your faith in him, you maybe know fact after fact after fact about him, and maybe you follow law after law after law that he has in the Bible, but you have never bent the knee of your heart to him. You've never submitted your life to him and said, please forgive me. Like I am guilty as guilty can be, but I am confident that you died for me, raised for me, Jesus. Please forgive me. Like I will live for you. Like that is what listening to Jesus is. And that's what Jesus would call you to today is to listen to him. Don't just listen to laws that he gives. Don't just listen to facts about him, but listen to him. Like have confidence that he died for you and that he was raised for you and that he calls you to turn from your sin. And if you do that, if you listen to him in that sense, he will gladly, willingly receive you and forgive you. He will make you clean. 
Obeying laws will not make you clean. Knowing facts about Jesus will not make you clean. But putting your trust in him and listening to him in that sentence does. Like that is how you are made clean. Jesus said to Pilate that everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Jesus still says that today. He didn't just say that in the privacy of the praetorium in Jerusalem in this headquarters. He says it from the throne of heaven today. As the one who died for our sins and was raised from that, he says, everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. So I would call you today to listen to him. And if you are a brother and sister in the Lord who has listened to Christ long ago, I would call you to continue to listen to him. The, the verb there where he says, everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice, that's present tense. It's something we keep doing as God's people, as followers of Jesus. We keep listening to him. When he calls us, when he directs us, when he convicts us, we keep listening to him. We don't want our children to just listen to Jesus once and say some prayer and maybe get baptized and then never listen to him again. That's not the listening Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about beginning to listen to him and continuing to listen to him till the day we die or the day that he returns. And so there may be some of us here who need to remember to continually listen to Jesus, not just keep learning more and more facts alone, although we should, and not just keep learning more and more biblical rules alone, although we should and seek to follow those, but truly listen to the one who died for us and was raised for us. We are called to do that ongoing. Next week, we'll get to see the further conversation that unfolds between uh, Pilate and Jesus. But I wanted to end by pointing to the end of this text today. In the person of Barabbas, John doesn't elaborate on this, but it is a beautiful story and a beautiful picture of what can happen in our lives and us today. There was a man, Barabbas, John records, who was a robber. And that's an understatement. We know from other texts there was far worse that he was guilty of. He was guilty. He was sitting in a jail, most likely, or the equivalent there in Jerusalem, and he was going to probably be crucified that day, crucified, and, and, and worthily so, as a guilty man. But when Jesus, uh, Pilate has this custom where he could release, he can release a, a person, a prisoner of the Jews' own choosing, he comes outside and says, do you want me to release Jesus to you, the king of the Jews to you? And they say, no, like give us Barabbas, like set him free. This is layers upon layers of what's going on there. But I just want to say this, that that is a picture of what can happen in our lives. That because Jesus went to that cross that was supposed to be for Barabbas, Barabbas was set free. Not because he was innocent. Not because he was clean. But because the guiltless one died in his place. And that is what can happen to us and our sons and daughters is that if Christ died for us, if he died for them, we can be set free. Not because we deserve it. We are as bad as Barabbas, but we can be set free because of the work of our King Jesus. Amen.